Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. writers, before we launch into this episode, I have a question for you. Has anything you learned while listening to Lit Mag Love helped you submit or publish your writing? Maybe you found a journal you hadn't heard of before. Maybe you made some edits to your submission based on what editors said on the podcast. Or maybe you just got the confidence to submit your work somewhere because you realized the editor on the other side of that submission is friendly and cares deeply about writing and writers. Maybe you didn't publish yet, but you just got more confidence to rack up these rejections, which is a big part of writing and worth a round of self-applause because you're out there taking chances with your work and growing as a writer. If any of this is true and you have learned something from the podcast, I'd love to hear what that was and about your submission stories. You can find me at Rachel Thompson, R-A-C-H-E-L-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N on Twitter, or just use the hashtag LitMagLove anywhere and I will find you. Our LitMagLove guest today is Mary Leona Christensen. She is the managing editor at The Swamp, and The Swamp publishes work that evokes a sense of place, which for The Swamp is broadly defined. They look forward to reading work that they can inhabit, no matter its geography. And they give a preference to the Southern Gothic, to poems and stories wrapped in a heavy coat of humidity. But with that said, they seek to publish all work that surprises us with new territory, with characters and landscapes we don't get the chance often to read about. So welcome to the Let Mag Love podcast, Mary Leona Christensen. So I know The Swamp looks for submissions that are place-based work that grounds us and with something to say that moves us. And I'm wondering, what do you like about work that is so grounded in place? I like being able to imagine myself in the writing, be that a poem that is set in a specific town or a poem that feels very settled into an emotion or even like a strange liminal space. I want to be able to inhabit that piece. But for me, place space doesn't necessarily mean that it's from like Asheville, North Carolina, June 5th, 1997 or something like that. Yeah, I think that's so important to stress because maybe some people get thrown off that it has to have very specific time and place-based setting. 
but that's not exactly what you're looking for, or it's not that's not the limit of what you're looking for. I'm wondering, can you tell me a bit about any pieces that do kind of explore that liminal space or explore a space that in a novel way, I guess, that things that we wouldn't expect from a place-based journal? It makes me think of a piece in our latest issue, issue four, Nantucket Nectar's Factor Day by Sage. Um, it's a more of an experimental piece and kind of like how Snapple has the facts underneath their lid. That's what these Nantucket Nectars do. And Sage has done a great job of bringing us into this place, a hidden forest in Nantucket, while also explaining this ghost-like mother apparition that happened. So you have, there's a setting, but it's not straight out telling us what that setting is, which I think is interesting. Um, and even on the page, the structure of the poem gives us almost like a place to be in. It's hard to explain, but there's a lot of use of white space which I think is interesting. It's like you can almost move into the poem. <laughs> yeah, it already gives us a kind of setting in itself. So we're always excited to see like poems that play with white space. And that's not unnecessary, of course. We welcome experimental forms, classic forms like sonnets. We like to see a little bit of everything. I wanted to ask you about the work that you do love to publish in the journal. Can you tell us a little bit more about the qualities of the work? that you enjoy publishing or even just illustrate with a few more examples from the journal? No, we just, we like to see, just like personally, like I always love like a good swampy poem that feels very, you know, it's South-based and you can feel that. So it'd also be interesting seeing pieces that have different locations besides like the swamp or the South. We get a lot of Louisiana and Mississippi type poems, which I love seeing. But I'd also like to see something about the desert or another country, or even something that's more folkloric. I feel like folklore has a lot to do with location and culture. And I feel like location and culture talk to each other and play into each other. And so we like, I like seeing all those things. It's easier really to, when I'm reading a poem, to tell, like, to tell the desert fit. With what we're looking for, we don't feel like it's quite publishable yet. But there's been times where I've been really surprised by a piece. That I, and I want to publish them. And I advocate for them. And the other editors do that as well. So yeah, once in a while there might be a poem in the swamp that might not be what readers would expect from a magazine called The Swamp. But we're very proud of all the work that we publish. And we all think that it fits with what we're looking for, like a poem that, or a poem or a piece of writing that we can inhabit. Now, reading up about you, I found out that you're a horror movie fan, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you like about the genre and then linking it to writing. I'm wondering, are there lessons about writing that you take from this form? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I had never really thought about, like, me liking horror movies and how that plays into writing. Um, what I like about horror as a genre is that it has a lot of range. Horror films can be more than just scary or entertaining. They can be social commentaries, they can be psychological and thought-provoking, or they can just be like ridiculously like off the wall and just hilarious. In regard to my own writing, I do like to throw in some strange stuff, 
lately I've been on a kick where I write about body transformations. So like the body turning into things or be the animal or monster or even just strange things happening to the body. I think transformations give you a space or distance to work through things like trauma or heartbreak or even uh, societal constraints that are placed on certain bodies. And maybe some horror movies do that too. They take something and short twist in this new way and maybe we don't even notice that the, notice the topic or the social commentary right away. But I think it's a thing that we can take to writing. Totally. And I know I'm also reading about your own writing in your words deals with the liminal space that comes with being multiracial, the feeling of otherness, of not perfectly fitting certain aspects of, of a race or culture, though your grandmother or first cousin might. And I think that's really fitting what you're saying too. It seems to fit that in terms of the body transfiguration writing that you're doing as well too. So I'm wondering how does this liminal space reverberate in your editorial work and your approach to the work with the swamp? I've never really thought about this either before you sent me this question. I mean, I like to see work that does handle liminal space well. I think it's a very interesting concept because you can talk about so many different perspectives and like I want to see the magazine have diverse work and to showcase that anyone can write poetry. That's just not just for a specific type of person. It's for anyone. I feel like liminal space does give, liminal space is a good space for those voices is what I was trying to say. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the panel that you did at AWP and it sounds to me also like you're giving space to those kind of voices too. The, the panel was titled Living Liminal multiracial women writers in American poetics. And you discussed, among other things, the place and importance of women of color in the American poetry scene. And I'm saying this as someone who, who unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend AWP this year. So can you tell those of us who weren't able to be there, what was the best part for you of that panel discussion? And it was great to be able to create the panel uh, with the other four panelists and getting to meet them. I only knew one of them prior to being at AWP in person. Uh, but my favorite part was actually after the panel when people came up to us and they said things like, I'm so happy there's other people like me out there. And that really meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me that this panel was able to connect folks. Like being mixed race and that mixed race feeling of otherness can be hard to explain to people that maybe don't feel that. And it can feel lonely. Thinking about your writing, is that something that brings you to writing, that idea of being able to connect and say, you know, is there anyone else out there? And, and maybe does it even come from a place of not having a lot of books that you read in your early life that you wish to write now that you didn't have back then? Does that resonate? Yeah, I was always looking for representation when I was younger. I never really knew where to find that because I am very white passing, but I didn't feel like I connected with maybe those characters in cartoons or even like having a blonde Barbie because I was raised by the non-white side of my family. And it's interesting about how you brought up the books I read like in my early life. Um, growing up, books were really expensive for us. And so I didn't really get new books. It was, a, it was like a treat if I ever got a book. Um, I was lucky enough that my grandmother would take me to the public library a lot when I was very small and that helped that like gave me this love of reading and later morphed into my love of writing 
I do wish that I was exposed more to contemporary poetry as a poet. I wasn't really exposed to that until I was an undergrad. And the first poet that I was introduced to was Natasha Trethewey, who is biracial and is a narrative poet. And at the time I was trying to play with narrative poetry. And her book, Native Guard, is what got me really into the writing style that helped me get into my MFA program and to really find my foothold. And even though my poetry has changed a lot over the years, that book and being introduced to her voice, just like I wouldn't be here today speaking to you, was it for being introduced to her. And I wish high schools would introduce more contemporary poetry in the curriculum. Uh, very little poetry is worked into uh, high school curriculums. And that usually the poetry that is, is written by long dead white men, which is a very narrow scope of poetry. And I feel like it can make poetry seem difficult or even inaccessible to a lot of people. So I would, would have loved to have read more contemporary poetry as a young adult. I love what you say about the role libraries played in, in connecting you with books. And yeah, I can't agree emphatically enough about how we should be reading more contemporary poetry earlier on and there's just so much joyful and relatable and an amazing work out there and then we're reading kind of dry stuff that's so remote from us i mean there's some of the old dead guys that i like too but uh, yeah exactly yeah. yeah there's nothing like reading something that just feels really on the edge of something real that's that's happening right now too it's like butting up against our contemporary lives so I wanted to turn back to the submissions that you get in the journal. And can you tell me a bit about how you approach editing? Do you work quite a bit on the piece with the, with the writers or do you have more of a light hand? How does that work at the swamp? Most of the time we do take a piece that is as is. Uh, sometimes we do suggest edits, like edits that we believe will make the piece stronger. And those are typically very small light handed edits. If we do send a writer a more of a conditional acceptance, so one with more edits, it's because we really believe in the piece and we're putting in time to make this piece shine. Um, of course, we want to make sure the writer still feels like the work is theirs and we will work with them on that. Because like we're writers, we know that edits can be hard to take sometimes. And we just really want the piece to feel like it's still true to the writer's voice. And you talked a bit about your own experience and how that's informed your writing and how your writing and your poetry has changed over the years too. How, how does place currently figure into your own writing and, and is that the change that you're talking about over time? Yeah, um, a little bit. So my MFA thesis was very place-based. Um, I had, was living in Appalachia, physically in West North Carolina, about 45 minutes from the reservation my grandmother grew up in which meant I was 45 minutes from the tribe I'm also enrolled in, and I was able to experience all this culture that I wasn't able to growing up across the country in a very urban environment. So yeah, so I wrote a lot about Appalachia and place, and a lot of that felt connected to me writing about being mixed race and indigenous. And that was a lot of my thesis. Very place-based and middle space-based. But my current work feels a lot different. It's not really locational or geographical anymore. It's more so writing from and about that weird, unsettled space 
that you can find yourself in when a major unexpected life change happens. So kind of like when the rug is pulled out from underneath you. So I guess it's a liminal space, but a very different liminal space. So I found my work has gotten this much stranger and slightly less narrative. Yeah, it's almost like a psychic liminal space, is that? Kind of. Like, I still work in some more environmental aspects that I think was in my more place-based stuff. But it's very much more, I still feel like there's a place, but it's not a solid locational place. Kind of like what we mentioned earlier, how place can be emotional. And I think that's where I'm writing from right now. So before I let you go, and thank you so much for sharing your Lit Mag Love with us today, what is one thing that writers should definitely know, but maybe don't quite know yet, or, you know, you're basing this on submissions that you get to the swamp before they send their work to the journal? I mean, everyone at the swamp is either an MFA or PhD student or a college instructor, or they were recently. So we are very busy at the swamp, and the swamp is really a product of love. And despite our busy schedules, we really believe in creative writing and sharing it. So I think it is important for submitters to know that we do spend time with their piece, with whatever they submit to us. And sometimes we have quick turnarounds, and sometimes they take a little bit longer than what we like. But we are spending time with the pieces, and we're invested in sharing work. I can't speak for all of us at the Swamp, but a few of us did grow up without easy access to arts education or to art in general. So we really do want to share that and to share creative writing and hopefully make it accessible. I feel like that's important for submitters to know. So you would welcome submissions from people who've maybe never published before and don't have a formal education in writing? Always, yeah. I actually get excited when I see that stuff um, come through submittable. That's so great that you say that, because I think that's one of the myths that I'm hoping to dispel, because <laughs> I think it seems to me that a lot of publications, and, and I mean, you're talking specifically about how excited you feel about seeing that, but uh, it's always exciting, I think, to discover a new voice that maybe hasn't had anybody pick, pick up their work yet. Yeah, and like I've said before, we've published some bigger names, and we've also published a lot of uh, emerging names. I love when we accept someone and they're like, this is the first place that has ever accepted a piece. Because I do think writing is for everyone. It's not just for a specific person that was lucky enough to come from a well-read family or had access to a great education or is able to pick up writing at a very young age. I think writing is for everyone and anyone. And that's what we want to share. Well, lovely, thank you for sharing with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. There's so many gems that we can glean from my conversation with Mary Leona Christensen. One that I feel is really universal, is something I hear a lot from editors, is although the swamp doesn't often make large editing suggestions, they make small light-handed ones typically, but if they do send edits, it is because they really believe in your piece and they're putting in time to make it shine. As writers themselves, which most editors are, they know that edits can be hard and they want the piece to be true to your voice. So there's a dialogue that you can have with editors too to make sure that your voice is maintained in the edits. And the best editors, like the ones at the Swamp, are the ones who are going to be open to that conversation. 
For the swamp, although they're a place-based journal, the place doesn't have to be attached to a space. The structure of a poem she talked about gave us a place as a reader to be inside. And that's a really interesting notion and something that could be fun to explore in writing and know that you don't have to limit yourself to the geographic sense of place. Now, another thing she said, I don't know if you picked that up, that everyone at the swamp is either a PhD student or an MFA student. And so that means they're very busy. It also might feel a little bit intimidating for writers, but I also want to underscore that she's talked about the few of them who grew up without access to art education and the ethos of all the editors there that they want to share creative writing, make it accessible, and they get excited when they see stuff from emerging writers. So don't let those credentials, if you don't have them yourself, intimidate you from submitting. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature and thanks for listening to litmaglove. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.